Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Goodbye, University. Welcome, everyone, to our February LOA resource report at Good Vibe University. This is where we share what we've been inspired by, whatever great resources we've found for conscious creators. We pass them along and share our favorite tips with each other here. And the book that I was focusing on this month was, I don't know how I ran across it, but Neville's The Wealth Mindset. Because I own the complete reader, I assumed that this was included in that, and it wasn't. So I had to buy a Kindle copy. It was the best 99 cents I think I'd spent in a very, very long time. <laughs> um, did, uh, does anyone have a hard copy of this, or how did you guys run across this, your version of this book? Because I know a couple of other others of you have read it, right? Yes, Kindle. Kindle, me too. Yeah, Kindle. I, I wondered if there was like a free copy online. I thought there probably is, but for 99 cents, Jeanette. <laughs> Just... You know, I I have all of his books, and I had never heard of this book. Right, because this Cindy, book is by Tim Grimes. I think Grimes. it's a lecture that somebody transcribed. It is. Oh. Okay. It, it is. Oh, so Neville didn't actually publish this. Someone else did from one of his lectures. Oh, that's what right. I kind of, I read it last night when I saw you post about it. I was like, wait, what's this? Right. And I thought, I have never heard this before, but as I was reading it, it sounded like a lecture to me, and I, so I kind of put two and two together. You were right. That makes sense now. And I'm going to tell a little secret. I have not read my complete reader of Neville because there's a part of me that doesn't want to read everything from Neville. Like I <laughs> I really like the idea that there's something out there that I haven't read. I'm like pacing myself because he probably is one of my definitely my favorite law of attraction author. I love I love Abraham material, but I'd rather listen to Abe. I'd Neville is Neville blows my mind. All right. So yeah. So, who who would like to get us started off with some thoughts from this one? I I got to be honest, it was the title that made me think, well, hello, I first of all have never heard of it and the wealth mindset. Got to got to read this. Um, but who who would like to get us started off with some of their thoughts on the book? Since I always start. I'll start. I took some notes. Thanks, Bing. So. I like, you know, I like the way he set it up. You know, he says part one is fundamentals, and then part two is, like, changing the feeling of I. Part three was sound investments. And, you know, probably our, our favorite is part three. But um, mm-hmm. I like the, I like though, in the beginning, the fundamentals, and he's talking about to what thoughts are you consenting to. And rebirth depends on our inner work and how we all live in a definite state of consciousness. Um, I like what he said when he said you can tell what, whether you're faithful to your aim by watching your reactions to your daily events. Yeah. And um, if you're faithful, your reactions conform to your aim. Um, I also like what he shared about self-observation and what it is that you really want and assuming the feeling of your wish fulfilled, separate yourselves from the I. And it's not just 
you know, moods and thoughts, but it's actually your state of consciousness that attracts your life, right? So those were the those were my high points that I I picked out in part one. Um, Let's talk about part one. I also agreed how when he said what pay attention to what thoughts you consent to. Yeah. I really like that. And look, did anyone else think about Trump when they read this? <laughs> ooh, ooh, I, you, I have highlights on. I don't think there's a single page I don't have highlights on. I can't go through this by going through what I highlighted because I I covered way too much. But I love that part too about consenting. In fact, I mean maybe this wasn't in part one, but I almost texted you, but. But I I got the answer a couple pages later. It was a Bible quote. It was, oh, from Jesus when he said, only those who I call can come. Okay, how did did the quote really go? Does anyone know the the actual Bible quote when Jesus says, only those who I called can come to me? At first Mm -hmm. I didn't understand that. But then later on he said, everything that you're experiencing, it's because you called it. I didn't right. understand that quote in the beginning. And Ming, I thought it was really interesting. Something you said to me as soon as you started reading was, in fact, would you share it? Because there are some there are some people who, um, in fact, I was reading a, a review on Amazon of Neville, and after I read it, I thought, I totally agree. And then it made me wonder, did I write that? <laughs> I didn't actually look to see who the author of the review was, but they said, I'm not normally a big fan of Bible quotes, but in the way Neville does it really works. Ming, you, yeah. will you yeah. share your thoughts about how? Yeah, I had to actually, I had to actually read this book three times because the first time I read it, I couldn't get past what he, what the Bible verses were saying because I was brought up as a fundamental Christian, and so I was taught differently what these verses. Were saying, and so as I was reading the Bible verses, all of my upbringing came back, and I was like, so then I was trying to look at it from a law of attraction point of view, and I thought, oh, I, I have to read this whole thing all over again. So what I did is I actually, I finished it once, and then mm-hmm. when I read it a second time, really opening up to what he was saying from a LOA point of view, I started to actually get it because it's it's quite actually quite different than what I was taught. So um, I think that's probably why I've never read anything from Neville. It's funny because this is the first time I've read him and I know you guys are all really big, big fans. So yeah, I think it's probably why I think it's the, because he's coming from, you know, the Bible point of view. I read Mm -hmm. the Bible three times in high school. So, I mean, this is like a big, big thing for me <laughs> to to look at it from a different point of view you know so yeah yeah i i think a lot of people might find that um some of the their experiences with bible studies are different than what neville brings to the party but i don't i don't mind it i i think he would have been amazing no matter how he presented this material but yeah, this one works for me. If there's anyone out there who's really turned off by Bible quotes, this may not be the author for you. But I wouldn't be surprised if you found you had a different experience of it um, than you do with other authors who incorporate teachings from the Bible into their work. Um, you know, there was another part. I think it was in part one where he was talking about uh, your description of the world is a confession of the self that you don't know. 
when he says, you describe another, you describe society, you describe anything, mm-hmm. and your description of the thing you observe reveals to one who knows this law, the being you really are. And and I, I mean, we've heard that put in other ways, but I like that reminder. And then he says, so you first must accept self. When that self is accepted, then you can start to change. He does say a couple of harsh things about what you'll mm-hmm. see when you really truly look at yourself. I was like, I don't know. It's all that mm-hmm. bad. But uh, I loved the – oh, remember the story of the guy? I think this was in part two where he he said um, a few years ago I was giving a series of lectures down near the lake. I can't recall the name of the lake, but it was some Parkview Manor where I spoke. And in the audience was a gentleman who sought an audience before the meeting. We went across the street into the little park there, and he said to me that he had an insoluble problem. I, here's what I highlighted. I said, there's such thing as insoluble problem. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I right. love that. Right. And the guy says, uh, but you don't know my problem. It's not a state of health, I assure you. It's look at the skin that I wear. And Neville says, what's wrong with it? It looks lovely to me. And he said, look at the pigment of my skin. I, by the accident of birth, am now discriminated against the opportunities for progress in this world. This would have been in what, the 50s, Nancy? I have no idea. I mean, he he was alive until the 70s, so. Yeah, I think the peak of his speaking career, I, I think they said in here it was in the 50s. But he said, the opportunities for progress in this world are denied to me just because of the accident of birth that I was born a colored man. And Neville basically tells him, um, uh, he says that's a bunch of crap, and he's mm-hmm. saying more crap. And then he says, uh, well, I told this gentleman exactly what Abdullah, his teacher, had taught me, that there was no cause outside of the arrangement of his own mind. Mm-hmm. This is so important for the, the times that we live in right now, I believe. He, he said, if he was discriminated against, it wasn't because of the pigment of his skin, though he showed me signs as large as all outdoors denying him access to a certain area. The sign is there only because in the minds of some men, such patterns are formed and they draw unto themselves what now they would condemn. So then he says, by consenting to these restrictions in his cradle and being conditioned slowly through his youth, waking into manhood, believing himself set upon, he would have to be set upon. Oh, and this is where he he says that quote again. But no man cometh unto me, save I call him. So then someone comes to condemn or to praise. They couldn't come unless I call them, whether they're coming to condemn or to praise. Don't you love that? So then someone comes to condemn or to praise. They couldn't come unless I call them. I cannot remember who I heard this from, but someone wrote about the story of, oh, he something bad in his business had was in business with his best friend or something and his best friend was taking advantage of him and he was all bummed about it kind of mad and then he realized this is this kind of happened throughout his life you know he'd been taken advantage of by girlfriends by da 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 he had this like same repeating experience and then he realized that he i love how he said it he said i put out the call and and you know these people have answered me i put out the call that i am taken advantage of and by calling for that, I attract those who will come take advantage of me. That feels so much like what Neville's saying here. No man cometh unto me, save I call him. So um, uh, he said this, that secret being draws unto itself things in harmony with itself. He's talking about our our inner self that we often aren't even familiar with. And that, So this guy's story is really cool, though, because he says, that, well, that man went away and wrestled with himself. He couldn't believe mm-hmm. everything I told him, not that night. 
But last Sunday morning in the lobby, he came forward and we renewed the friendship. He took me next door to show me the fruit of his teaching. He said, Neville, it took me almost three years. I might cry when I tell this story. Neville, it took me almost three years to really overcome that fixed idea that I, by the accident of birth, would be a secondary citizen but I overcame it. Now, here's my office on Wilshire Boulevard. I picked this one not because it was the only one offered. Four equally wonderful spots were offered to me. I took this one because it had greater telephone facilities, but the others were equally good. Now, you couldn't judge my income from this office, lovely as it is. Everything is nice about it, but, Neville, this year I'll net a quarter of a million dollars. Okay, so Neville tells this story, and his audience, there's some skeptics, and they were like, well, yeah, well, he must have had some money set aside to, you know, mm-hmm. he had some sort of a, and Neville's like, look, I don't know the details. Why would you question the details? It's a fabulous story. But he, he later on, he, he tracks the guy down and gets the details from him, and the guy says, yeah, I didn't have any money to my name. I had $54 to my name, and I spent it in lectures coming to see you. With a ba- I'd spend a dollar on a babysitter and two dollars to get entrance to your lecture. I spent all my money doing that. So the guy didn't have, you know, the the resources that everyone who heard the story assumed he must have in order to be making a quarter of a million dollars back then. Really, really cool story. But the reason I love his story so much was because he gave Neville some other details about how. I don't know what section this is. I'm sure I've got it highlighted somewhere. I'm gonna tell Elvis to be quiet. Hang on. Not that he's going to listen to me. Um, he he talks about how he doesn't go, this guy making a quarter of a million dollars a year in 1950, whatever, he didn't even go to work. He didn't go to the office anyway. He went to work, but not on the traditional work. He stayed behind the scenes. I think he said he stayed home. Do you guys remember this part where he stayed home and and he just imagined only good reports from his employees? How cool is that? <laughs> this is a guy that took the teaching to heart. And that might be what I remember most from this book. I loved some of the quotes, but that guy's story was pretty inspiring about how you wouldn't be discriminated against if you weren't basically the vibration of discrimination. If you would drop that, then you wouldn't experience that. Oh, my gosh. And then he tells a story about how one of his customers was basically, oh, my, I can't even repeat that story. It was so offensive. But um, he just basically refused to believe that there was that his skin was holding him back in any way. Oh, so cool! Yeah, yeah. I like that part in that chapter where he talks about selecting the state that you would occupy. Do you remember that? Uh, I think I do. Right after the story, right after the story you just told, and he says, "Occupying it, then you become it. Now it's already a fact. Every aspect of that state." In its most minute detail, it's worked out and taking place. You, by occupying the state, still seem to have to go through the action action of unfolding that state. But the state is really now already completely finished and taking place. So right now, you can choose the being you want to be. That's that's what I enjoyed. I remember that. And I, there's something you said about that, that that maybe Kendall will remember this, where he said, you're going you're gonna to be this all the time. It's not just something you do now and again and expect change. You got to do this, like occupy the state, not visit it, not flirt with it. You got to live there. Okay, do you guys remember that part? Mm-hmm. Oh, here, maybe this is yes. it. I am what the moment denies, what my reason denies, and and that I nonetheless remain in that assumed state long enough to make it stable, so that all of my energies are flowing from that state. I'm no longer thinking of that state. I'm thinking from it. Uh, that's not exactly what I was thinking of. Kendall, do you know what I'm talking about? 
I'm not, I, I don't think exactly, but what I remember from right in that area was acceptance of the restriction made it restriction, and if he could only mm-hmm. drop it by non-acceptance of it being a restriction, he could accomplish his every dream by acceptance now. Um, and so, like, for me, that was like, it was like, it's kind of, he, he was so convinced that his skin color wasn't a restriction that it couldn't be it couldn't be overcome and so then neville was saying you know if you see it as a restriction it is a restriction i i I thought that was like that part i liked it too and that's kind of a i mean to say that to someone that's kind of a big thing to ask but he, he did say you know it didn't happen for him overnight it took him a while to get there um I like this part where he says, whenever I reach that state of stability, watch my world then mold itself in harmony with this inner change. And men will come into my world, people will come to aid me, and they'll think they're initiating the urge to help, but they're playing only their part. They must do what they do because I've done what I did. Having moved from one state into the other, I've altered my relationship relative to the world around about me. And that changed relationship compels a change in behavior relative to my world. So people have to act differently toward me. Right. I loved that. Really, really liked that. This is a a cool part, too, where he says, um, desire is the spring of action, for you must want to be other than what you are. We fail because we don't fall in love enough with an ideal. And he did make a uh, mention or a reference to uh, I don't know if he called another religion or a teaching, but he said where they, you know, say, uh, get rid of your desire. I assume he was talking about, like, Buddhism. But he he said, uh, that's not what you're, that's not the way you want to go about this. I didn't, I, on that, Jeanette, that one about fall in love, I, I wrote that. That was probably one, that was like my first quote I wrote down. We really? fail because we don't fall in love enough with an ideal. We aren't, I would say, moved enough to one other than what we are. And what that really struck home for me is, is I don't think it's about boosting, you know, the sense of lack, but boosting, what I said is boosting the appreciation of what we want. And this idea, I've got this whole thing about vim and vigor. Um, so this idea of like, you know, I'd like to have a new car or, I, oh, I can't wait to have this new car. You know, the energy we be, we put behind it. And so that's what, when I read that, we fall in love. There was something about that phrase. We fall in love. We right. don't fall in love enough. That just rang home for me. So, you know, and, that, and that's an interesting thing too in manifesting. I was talking with a client recently about how um, he had played with a practice project or two, and he wasn't really impressed with his results. And I wondered if it was because he didn't care about it enough. You know, mm-hmm. I think sometimes that not caring too much is a benefit because then we don't get attached. But if there isn't really true genuine desire flowing it's a harder manifestation it's so finding the sweet spot be between what we really really want but also not getting attached to it that that feels that feels interesting here's that part where he said there are certain schools who teach you to kill out desire we teach you to intensify desire and show you the reason for such teaching show you what the bible teaches about desire um oh this was a cool thing where he said let me remind you of a very simple technique Anytime that you exercise your imagination and do it lovingly on behalf of another, you are mediating God to man. So we sit quietly and we simply become imitators of our Father. And this is the part I I highlighted. And he called the world into being by being the thing he would call. Oh, come on. (laughs) I I think this is so cool. This guy is so ridiculously cool. 
Um, okay, I'm on part three, sound investments. Who who else has got thoughts to share from the first part of the book? Anyone? Kendall, this is the part that you posted in the forum about, right? Yeah. The sound investments. About investing and spending versus investing. Yeah. 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 So he, he talks about how his wife was asleep and she – did she, he call it a dream? He said mm-hmm. – she woke from what was a really deep, profound sleep, and as she was waking, a voice distinct – oh, so not a dream. As she was waking, a voice distinctly spoke to her. The voice spoke to her with great authority and said – you must stop spending your thoughts, your time, and your money. Everything in life must be an investment. Well, Neville went to town on this idea. And, um, oh, I loved where he said, thought is the coin of heaven. So cool. And mm, uh, I'm trying to find an easy place where he summarizes it. Kendall, you probably know this one well enough to sum up what he, what lit Neville up so much with that, what his wife heard. Yeah, I actually just had that it's on page 37. Let me get to it and see what I have highlighted. I, that that was absolutely my favorite thing. It's like sparked so much in me. It, thought is the coin of heaven. It's the money of heaven. And then it's so then as we're talking about money this month, you know, we're talking about money this year. Mm-hmm. We're taking about like the idea of how how you bring thoughts through, and then thoughts then manifest as money, and then we so then money is the coin of thought, you know, like a continued process mm-hmm. of that. Um, mm-hmm. uh, but then it, cause then he goes on later to talk about on page 43, at least he only, that guy, he only invested God's coin, meaning thought that man, um, when he made all that money, he only invested God's coin. So instead of spending his thought and his time thinking, he had no money. He knew that he that thought was money, so he invested it in his thought in the now. Um, yeah, by thinking the things of what he wanted, and which is he would, never right. would consider an investment. Instead of thinking right. about how he's restricted or blocked or whatever, couldn't do it. That he would consider spending. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. I like here where he said, "Devote every moment of your time to positive thinking, constructive thinking." Here's what I highlighted. By not accepting any rumor that doesn't contribute to the fulfillment of your desire, no matter what it is, it could be the most obvious fact in the world. If it doesn't contribute to the fulfillment of your dreams, don't accept it. If you do, you're mm-hmm. spending. If, not by denying, but by, com- Cindy, I thought of you when he's talking about denying, but by complete indifference, complete non-acceptance, you turn to what you wish you could have heard instead of what you heard, you're investing. Who did not think about Trump when they read that? And then Neville says, it's not the hearing that matters, it's the admitting the truth of it that matters. Oh, and I think he's quoting the Bible when he says, all things when they are are admitted, I don't know the rest of the Bible quote, but he says, not all things when they are heard, but if you give consent to it, if you Mm -hmm. accept it as true, then you either spend by acceptance or you invest depending on the nature of the state accepted. He's really asking people to deny the reality that you don't want. Well, he he said not by denying, but by complete indifference, complete non-acceptance. Kind of reminds me of when it sure looked like my dog was dead and I wasn't down with that. I was like, "Mm, no, she's going to be fine. And I told my Friend, I said, push on her chest. <laughs> Give her compressions. Breathe in her nose. Nothing working. Well, and I said, take that thing off her neck that strangled her. 
And then, um, and I said, let's take her to the vet. And he's basically carrying a dead dog down the canyon. And, um, and, and he was, he was freaking out, like, you know, that I just lost my third dog in as many months. And I was like, nope, that's not, that's, no. And complete indif- non-acceptance. I, again, that's not the sort of thing I would want to have to repeat, but that, um, that willingness to know that our power lies in, I, the word he uses is admit, but he's quoting it from the Bible. I don't know that, like, the Bible quote. Does anyone else? He, he used it earlier in the book, but I, I, don't, I don't know where it is. Well, this was cool, too, where he says, oh, uh, by the way, for no one who ever heard my story, yeah, my dog, that, that's the dog. How many years ago was that? She was a puppy. How old is she now? I got her in, like, 05, so it was probably in 06. She was a, an older puppy. She's sleeping in the other room right now. Okay, so um, I like this part where he said, Time is too precious, and these moments don't recede. They don't pass away. They're always advancing into my future to either confront me with a waste or to show me some wonderful return. Who loved that? Did everyone highlight that part? (laughs) So, very cool. Cindy, let's hear from you, your thoughts on this book. Um, Well, I think what really stood out for me was in the first part, although like you, I think I highlighted something on pretty much, I was like, this this entire thing is just going to be highlighted. Um, But when he talks about um, observation and self-observation and uncritical observation, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, because, mm -hmm. you know, I've, I say it a lot, but I believe it, and that is that our level of consciousness is directly related to our lack of judging. So the higher our consciousness is, the more uh, ease we have in creating and manifesting. And so we get there by letting go of judgment. So when he's talking about self-observation, and, you know, it's a hard thing for it's, – it's not an easy experience for us to look around and realize that, you know, what we've created is telling the story of exactly what we believe. Mm-hmm. Um, because a lot of times we look around and we don't like what we've created and we want to blame it on someone else or on our circumstance or the color of our skin or whatever we want to blame it on. And those things are all, you know, real, but they don't have to limit us. Mm-hmm. And if we will take responsibility for being the creator that we are, we have to do that by observation first. And we don't like to because we get judgmental and we start beating ourselves up about what we've created. But if we can do it in an uncritical way, which I I mean, if you take that Kindle book, because I was looking for the quote, so I searched uncritical observation. I mean, it's over and over and over in there. I mean, he talks about it a lot. So I think that's what stood out for me. And then I love that quote that you mentioned. Um, my first, it's really funny, one of the very first mentors that I had um, said, used to say, close your eyes, fall in love, and stay there. Mm-hmm. And when I read that quote last night, I was like, aha, because I see my mentor's things in Neville's writings all the time. <laughs> oh, wow. One, you know, eventually gave me a book list, and on it was Neville of, and a lot of other things. But when I started reading Neville, I was like, okay, this is, this is a lot of what I know from him, and I thought that that was a great way to put it. Um, mm. 
that you know that we need to fall in love with whatever we're desiring. And yes, it's easier to allow it to happen when we're not attached. But it doesn't mean that we don't care about it. I had someone ask that question one time. Well, how come it's so much easier to consciously create something that I don't really care about? It's like, no, it's not that you don't care about it. It's that you're not attached to the outcome. Mm-hmm. But it is easier for us to create something that we have stronger desire for yeah. as long as we aren't also flowing, you know, doubt or disbelief or whatever could get in the way of it. Yeah. I love this little book. Cindy, what did you make of the part where, you remember the the business owner making a quarter of a million, how he talked about how he, he like, doesn't travel because he makes his kids go to the Sunday service with, you know, Neville's lectures every Sunday. And he told the story about how, oh, I think he had three kids, and one, the youngest, was super, super sick. And that night, um, oh, the two older it. ones. And, and he, was the said, they said, uh, they they were thankful that she was made perfect tomorrow. Yeah, and he said because they couldn't look at her and say that she's well now, but they said tomorrow, and sure enough, she woke up, and he said, Neville, it was a miracle. The next day, that child was perfect. There wasn't any sign of whatever she'd been sick with. Wasn't yeah. that cool? I did love that. I did love that because that's, you know, that's um, that's using some wisdom and understanding your limitations, right? Right, <laughs> right, setting ourselves up for success, how intuitive those kids were. And then how he taught him, like one of his boys wanted a watch, and he said, look, I could buy him a thousand watches, but I want him to know that I'm not the source of his goodness. I want him to know that he is. And so he taught him how to do it. He filled his mind with possession of the watch, and then on, he found it on his way to school one day. He found the watch <laughs> that he wanted. <laughs> well, part of what I thought was interesting about the um, about the, the brother's saying, you know, saying that they saw their sister, um, were thankful for their sister being well tomorrow, was I think that in that story it was bedtime. And Neville Mm -hmm. talks about, um, Mm -hmm. he talks about imagining the feeling of the wish fulfilled. I mean, that if I had to say one sentence that sums up everything Neville teaches, that would be it, to, to imagine the feeling of the wish fulfilled. But he also talks about making sure that that is in your imagination as you're falling asleep. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I thought, okay, well, they were like putting that in their own mind right before they went to sleep. Right. Wow. You you put a newsletter out recently with that idea that lit me up. And then when someone posted about bedtime rituals, I thought, this is one I want to incorporate more regularly. It's yeah, big sure. one. I liked when he was talking about how he manifested his convertible. He said... He, he I says, I simply, I sat quietly in my living room and imaginatively drove my Cadillac, and I simply treated it <laughs> loosely. I didn't put real effort into it. Oh, this reminds me of your car story, Cindy. I accepted <laughs> it, and then when I decided to get it, I simply put in three calls, and the next that day I was driving the car. Oh, and then he goes to say, this is what I loved so much. Now everything happens just like that. Today, instead of going to my office and working in the office, I work behind the scenes. I sit all day and I hear the report that's good from my employees. My entire office staff must tell me good news. It's the only thing I'll allow myself to hear. I ride my car. I'm in the office. I'm at home. I'm in the office. But I'm only hearing good news and seldom do I go behind, do I go to the office physically to do office work. I'm behind the scenes only hearing good news. That's pretty cool. Uh, it just, it makes me realize like how much, um, 
when Abraham talks about how, you know, 17 seconds, or I guess now they say 14 seconds of pure positive thought is the equivalent to 2,000 hours of action work, it makes me realize just how much leverage there is to be willing to do that sort of behind-the-scenes work on a really regular basis, like not just before you go put in a full day at the office, but that is your work. Your work is to experience the good news in advance of hearing it from your people. I agree. That's powerful. Who else read this who has has thoughts to share on it? Or anyone who has read it and didn't share one of your favorite parts yet? I have another favorite part. Can I oh, share? good. Let's hear it, Ming. Yes. So, so he says, you know, all you need is the thought. That's money. And then the next paragraph, he says, so I'll repeat it through the doorway of now which is really amazing because the whole concept of now is, you know, is something that's been rolling around in my head the last week. And so he says, because Jesus said, I am the door, I am is always first person present, not I was the door or I will be the door. I am the door. So what I do in the present now isn't going to recede. It's going to advance into my future. For through the door of the present of the now, all time must pass. So don't spend it as it passes through the door of the now, but invest it. I think I think this is really cool. The new spin on that verse for me. <laughs> yeah, and, you know, there was another part, too, where he was talking about the translation of, oh, what was it, where he said they got the impassive perfect tense wrong or something. Mm-hmm. And he said if you go to the original, I can't, I sure can't remember yeah. about that, but that was that was pretty cool too. And this 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 book is only a book, transcribed lecture. It's only like fifty nine pages or something. I'm near the end on page fifty where it says, um, uh, "So I'll not hear or accept any as true anything other than that which contributes to that noble concept I hold of myself. I will see that I'm secure. And maybe a headline would startle the world, but I'll not accept it." For if I don't admit to it, it can't proceed out of me. For all things, when they are admitted, are made manifest. None, unless they are admitted. I kind of liked how he was talking about the use of the word admit there. Um, And then he says, So if I now will admit I'm using this moment as my moment to invest in my ideal, if I admit... I am what reason denies, what my senses deny, like I'm a brilliant coach in high demand, even though there are no clients, no emails, no prospects. If I admit that I am what reason denies, what my senses deny, I proceed in that assumption, knowing that even though it doesn't confirm itself tonight or tomorrow, I will still live in the assumption that I am what I want to be. And all day, oh, there he said, all day, I'll tune in and listen only for the good report. I know these are investments, and tomorrow these dividend checks must come. They must come. That's the law of our being. Mm-hmm. All yeah, you need is that. the thought. That's money. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I love that. I would be so hot for this guy if he were alive today. It might be good that he's not. <laughs> <laughs> You know, Jeanette, it's interesting that you were talking about how um, he, he shared that one man's success and nobody believed it. And so he went and tracked down the guy to get the, the full details 
of the story. There was another one of his books that in the in the prologue, Neville said, um, I've not included any stories here so that anyone can dispute them or claim that they're impossible or that I made them up. Mm-hmm. And I think that's interesting because it kind of shows his own consciousness that there were people showing up questioning his um, positive stories that he had to share. And the interesting thing about that for me is that from the first day I started reading Neville, I think it was in 2006, I have always believed every story that he's shared. I mean, there's never even been a a doubt in my mind that what he was sharing was true. And yet there's people that, I don't know, maybe they don't practice this enough to understand the truth of it. Or it's too confronting for them to think that they really are this much in charge. I mean, yeah, I'm sorry to interrupt. I, I understand why you wouldn't ever come to that conclusion, but it's easy to see how others do. Like, oh, for real? Really? Yeah. You know, quarter of a million? He must have had some money to start with. So I had a couple questions to ask. I don't know if you guys are finished sharing. I'm going to share one more. He says, when a man learns the art of thinking from the end, that man is master of his fate, for he defines his end, he formulates an aim in life, and then feels himself right into the situation of that end. That feels like classic Neville, like you said in the chat room, Nancy. And he says, the wise man occupies the state of his dreams, so he radiates from it. He thinks from it. And then he gives a little example of it. Um, yeah, I, uh, I'm, a, I'm a big fan. Anyone else have any last quotes before we field questions from Nancy? So the wide difference between thinking from and thinking of must be clearly seen and then understand the wisdom in learning the art of thinking from a desired end. Look out at your world, formulate your lovely aims in life, and just ask yourself, what would it be like were it true to now embody that state? How would I feel? In response to that question comes a feeling, a positive feeling that corresponds to that end. Learn to think from that end. Though reason denies it, though everything denies it, you occupy that end. It's now. You're investing in it, and it'll become real within your world. Cool. Cool, Nancy. What question did you have? Well, my first question was, I I mean, I know that you and Ming, well, I don't know about Ming, but I know you and Cindy are like me. We're big Neville fans. Like, we've read everything He's. I have read and reread and reread and reread and reread everything he's written and everything he writes. Just I love it and I love his writings and and get a kick out of it. Um, did anybody else read this and this was the first time they ever came upon Neville materials? Like, was this new for you, Kendall? It. I actually. I. I found that I have. I have one of his books. I haven't. Um, I haven't gotten all the way through it, but I had I bought like a year or so ago. But but everybody's talking about Neville. I was going to say it's so funny we talk about Neville, 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 and I was like, who's I don't know who Neville is. So yeah, so I think it was a real a real strong awakening to the, the to this. And I actually was going to ask for people's advice on like what would be what would be a, a you know your favorite book uh, of Neville's. Um, Everything. Everything. <laughs> I haven't. I haven't. And I, you know, when I said earlier, 
I purposely haven't read it all yet. I own the complete reader, and it just feels like a treasure in my house, a gift that I haven't opened fully yet. I've started, but I, I'm pacing myself really slowly because it's, I just love this material so much, and I'm you know, not. Like Jeanette, it doesn't matter. When you get to the end of it and you start over, they'll all be exactly. like brand-new books because you can't step in the totally. same river twice. And every time yes. I read Neville, I go, oh, my God, how did I not see that? Really? Before? Exactly, <laughs> yes. yes. I need to yes. believe in abundance, right, and then know that, <laughs> look, yeah, it'll be there for me again and again and again, or someone else will. It's like those it's books just... shapeshift. Like they, they, I read it, I put it on my shelf, I pick it up, and it's a completely – changed itself into something different. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes, yes. And, and it's just proof that our consciousness is always growing. Yep. And so the first time you read it, you read it at a certain level of consciousness. And by the time you finish the book, you're at a different level. And now you open it back up and read it again. Now you're getting it from a new perspective, a new level. Yes, mm-hmm. absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, so the other question I had was um, if, if each of the people who read – the book can share like their biggest ahas that they got out of this book that they haven't hadn't experienced before. I I'll, I've got two that jumped to mind. One is the guy who did most of his work behind the scenes, just hearing the good reports, and also that concept of what we admit. I, I it made me think of a couple times I'll be talking with a friend, an LOA savvy friend, who will say something really that they really don't want in their life, and I'll just be like. There's no way that happened. There's absolutely no way. And I'm saying that like like I'm trying to convince them that did not happen. You were you definitely got that wrong. Oh, and the way he used rumor in there like, you know, it's just it's just someone got something wrong. That's not that concept of not admitting it. That that I I really got inspiration from that. How about you, Ming? I I really love the the uh, every moment in time we're either spending or investing. I think I, as soon as I read it, it was like, sure, that makes sense. But I don't think that I really, you know, it really made me sink my teeth into this and really think about it. And like, because our thoughts are so powerful that I know, but it's like, I think that that was to me, that was just something that I I really want to play with more. You know, that goes back to our conversation before the recording, Ming, where I said yes. every everything's an affirmation. You're either affirming something you mm-hmm. want or something you don't, and that's the same mm-hmm. thing. If you're affirming what you want, you're investing, and if you're not affirming what you want, you're you're not investing. You're spending. You're spending your energy and your time, but you're not investing it for it to grow. So, yeah, it's kind of the same same thing. That's good um, one, Cindy, Cindy, Kendall. Uh, mine is mine is thought is the coin of heaven. It's the money mm-hmm. of heaven. Um, that totally that was will live with me forever. And then thinking from it instead of of it was a big big takeaway. Those are huge concepts, boy. To put those to work. To realize we don't have any disadvantage just because we might not have a big bank account, that if we understand the power of our thoughts, we are more strongly positioned for success than anyone else out there, no matter how much money they have, if they don't understand the power of their thought. Mm-hmm. Money is the coin of heaven. That's that, or thought. That, thought is the coin of heaven. <laughs> that reminds yeah. me of that story in, that Neville shared, where the couple had 
the property. They they built their business on this property, yeah. but they had room for an apartment building, and they decided that they wanted an apartment building that was going to generate income for them, but they didn't want to spend any money building it. So the couple would just sit and talk about it back and forth, and they did this for years. I think it was like 10 years of just talking about it and imagining it and having fun with it and letting it go and then talking about it. And, whatever. and then out of the blue, you know, uh, a contractor contacted them, and they said, well, thank you, but, you know, uh, now is not the time. And he came back to them and said, look, I've got architect plans already drawn up. We can just use these plans. You don't have to pay for an architect. And they were like, well, thank you very much, but, you know, not right now. And he came back and he said, look, I'll go ahead and I'll build this for you, <laughs> and you can pay me back, you know, with the rents of the people who uh, who rent the property. And so this guy ended up building the apartment complex for them, um, on their land, and and they paid them back after people rented the the properties. And they they imagined all they imagined every unit being rented before the place was even completed. And then by the time it was completed, it was fully rented. So, Woo-hoo. yeah. Woo-hoo. How about you, Cindy? Did you have any ahas? Um, I don't know. I I. I don't. There wasn't anything that I wasn't already familiar with, but the things that stood out were, you know, what I talked about before. Just the the idea of looking at what you've created as a reflection of you, and doing it in a way that's non-critical. Um, that's a really different space to be in. To be able to say, okay, I I'm creating all of this stuff that's happening and that's that I'm experiencing. And not be critical about it. Just get curious about it. And I think that was, you know, that stood out to me as being really powerful. You know, that ties in with what you talked about with consciousness and judging. Because if we're kind to ourselves, if we're curious, then we're suspending that judgment. Right, exactly. I mean, that's yeah. the non judgment part of consciousness raising is that, you know, when we can let go of judgment, it's really the only thing we ever have to let go of. Right, it shifts everything when we can let go of judgment. So, I think that kind of it wasn't a new thought, but I heard it new. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Awesome. Then the the other question, Jeanette, you you shared something about the guy that was talking about the unsolvable problem, and yeah. And Neville said there's no such thing. It's so funny because I posted the same thing last night on one of the threads. Um, That ACM, A Course in Miracles, teaches that the ego likes to convince us that we have unsolvable problems that, you know. um, What do you mean by the ego? Oh, ego. 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 Okay, gotcha, gotcha. The ego uh, likes to create the unsolvable problems, but if we take charge and say, oh, wait a minute, I know that if a problem exists, then a solution also exists, and then you, you know, move in that direction, you can uh, kind of do exactly what Neville was trying to do with that guy, you know, Mm -hmm. convincing that guy that that I guarantee you no such thing exists. (laughs) And... uh, yeah, so I thought that was pretty cool. And I thought that was a great example. Now, I think Neville grew up in he grew up in um the British Virgin Islands, I think. Barbados. Barbados? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So 
he probably felt like he could say to that man, you know, it's not what you, it's not what you thought. You know, it's it's what you're thinking. Right. It's not not just the signs that you're seeing. There's it, it comes from, and I know this this seems like we live in a world where we've all gotten together and agreed that certain things are true, and that cultural um, mass consciousness can seem like a really hard thing to buck. Mm-hmm. But it starts with each one of us individually. I mean, you you start with where you are. And then, like there, I think you you had a well, quote that you accept where you are first, and then once you accept, then you're able to make changes. Then you have that. I I like the idea that um oh great whatever was in my head it just was out that fast. <laughs> Sorry. Did you have that quote? Did you share that quote that said? That doesn't. Uh, I don't know. That doesn't oh, sound okay. like me to say accept no, where you're at. Quote. I mean, maybe not. It maybe don't resist it. No, oh, 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 oh. Yeah, that sounds yeah, that sounds like it came from the book, yeah. Yeah. Oh, I was going to say it's the way Abraham talks about how for so many of us the biggest handicap is that we don't know how to um not believe in what we see. Like the reality has such a strong grip on us that we don't have a big playground for imagining something else because it seems so real and so done but the the looser we can be with that the more that we and that's why one of my favorite thoughts to remind myself and clients is about you know multiple worlds interpretation that everything that could happen is happening and it's all happening right now so it isn't even that you have to try to create something different Ooh, neville actually had some good words about that about how we're just steering ourselves or navigating to what we want. But uh, that reminder that it's not that this is so and what we want isn't. What we want is so in some other vibrational level. And I think that reminder sometimes helps people loosen their grip a little bit on the reality that they think they might be looking at. But that's one reason I posted that blog post recently about how much I celebrate not knowing too much because once we know something, it is hard to not know it. And the looser we can be, the more we can treat something like a rumor <laughs> or like maybe it is, maybe not, you know, stay open about the thing that we don't want. Hold that one loosely so that it gives us more wiggle room to create something else. Because I think reality messes a lot of people up in being able to create something other different than that. Yeah, I think yeah. It, it's it's a commitment to yourself because it's inner work that you have to do yourself. And that means that when you then bump up against evidence in your outside world, you have to be strong enough to say, no, I don't accept that. Or I love his idea mm-hmm. that everything's a rumor until you decide whether it's Admit true it. or not. Yep, yeah, until you take it in and... Collapse it. That's what Fred Allen Wolf would say, right? Like, it's all waves until we observe it, and then we turn the waves, the quiffs, the quantum wave functions into prickly atoms, which he calls popping the quiffs. Like, be careful what what quiffs you're popping. Yeah. One of the things I loved about Neville and have always loved about Neville is he's the first one that introduced me to the idea that the Bible could be interpreted in a different way. 
Mm-hmm. So he's the first one that sh- that said, well, wait a second, there, there's actually a much deeper meaning here. You know, when it talks about the man and the woman in the Bible, it's not literally a man and a woman. It's talking about mm-hmm. the left side of the brain and the right side of the mm-hmm. brain and how mm-hmm. the, oh, wow. brain, the sides of the brain function and work together and serve each other and help each other. And unfortunately, how many cultures have read it, you know, verbatim and then created crazy rules in life for people to live based on that interpretation. So um, so I love that Neville was the first one that introduced me to that. And then after I started going to Unity services, Unity interprets the Bible metaphysically as well. And that the first time I sat there and heard them re-explain the Christmas story, in terms of metaphysics, it blew my mind. Literally, I just I sat there with my mouth open, going, "Oh my God, where have I been all my life?" You know, this is this makes so much more sense and is so much more delightful. And I just, you know, I I'd never heard anything like that before. It was amazing. Wow. So um, we're almost at the top of the hour, but. I'd love to hear what everyone else is reading. If you've got any, if you've got your hands on some great material, or revisiting an old classic that's inspiring you. I've been revisiting a bunch of books. I'm finishing up um, "Open Your Mind to Receive" by Catherine Ponder, and I had shared mm. some of the mm-hmm. quotes um, at GVU on that. I um, I had posted. Um, a clip of uh, Eckhart Tolle and Oprah the other day, and that made me wonder about my book, um, A New Earth, which I read years ago. I, I watched mm-hmm. it. I read it when I when I watched the webinar, but then I have never revisited it, and it made me want to go back and, and read that again. I've also been watching um, videos with Adi Ashanti, who's a Buddhist teacher locally here in Silicon Valley. He actually grew up like about a mile from where I am right now. And um, he gives talks at at my local unity as well. And in fact, some of the ones that are on YouTube of him talking, I can tell he's right there at our unity um, giving the talk. And he's got some interesting Buddhist interpretation of the ego and what's going on with the ego and it's just so interesting to see how the Buddhists look at it and how ACM looks at it and how Neville looks Mm -hmm. at it and just you know uh, they're all basically saying the same thing but in their own um, Mm -hmm. terminology yeah it's very cool very cool yeah yeah so that's what I've been doing cool 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 Mark says in chat room that he's been he's still enjoying reading Seth stuff I haven't picked up Seth in a while myself. I have a tendency not to reread things, but um, but sometimes, yeah. Like this one, this one from Neville Ming. When you said you read it three times, I thought I would like to be able to say that too because I can see how what Cindy said earlier about how it's a different book and you pick it up later. I can see how that would very easily apply to something from Neville. Cool. All right, then. Well, I guess we'll wrap this party up. Thanks, everyone, for joining us for this conversation. I'm looking forward to what we might be reviewing next month. If anyone has any suggestions, please pass them my way. And in the meantime, enjoy the rest of your week. Bye, everyone. Bye, everyone. Thank you.
Bye-bye. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.